Hi! Welcome to Feel Good Murders. If you're new here, you might be wondering about the name. You might be thinking, murders are not good. I know, and that's not what I'm saying. But let me explain the name really quickly. Long story short, I started this podcast when my mom started chemo. And I made it as a way to distract her and help her feel better. Hence the name Feel Good Murders. I hope anyone listening is here to feel better and and distract themselves too. Regardless, I'm happier here. And thanks for joining me. I'm also so excited because this is the first episode that will be up on Spotify and on YouTube. When I first got the idea for this podcast, I really thought about it as a joke. Honestly, I wasn't really going to do it for real. I wasn't going to release anything to the public, but then my mom got sick and I saw an opportunity to really go for it, really just do the damn thing. So I got a microphone and now I have a camera too. So episodes will be up to listen on Spotify. And if you want to watch me sit and talk, then you can hop on over to YouTube too. Before we get started with this week's episode, um, this is a side note. If anybody knows how to write a theme song, I need one. (laughs) Please let me know. (laughs) Okay, let's get started. This week, I'm going to be telling you about the Idaho murders. I'm guessing anyone listening to this is into true crime and is probably up to date about this podcast, but if you're not, thanks for trusting me to be your source of information. This case is really hot right now, and it's still going on, so I'm going to try my best to summarize, and remember that everything in this episode is to the best of my knowledge. Again, it's still going on, so things could change, but this is what I know so far about the four college students who were murdered in Moscow, Idaho. The victims were 21-year-old Madison, 20-year-old Zena, beautiful name by the way, 21-year-old Kaylee, and 20-year-old Ethan. And before I tell you this case, I normally say this at the end of of episodes, but I'm going to say it now. This case is so scary because these four people are just like so many of us. For me, it wasn't that long ago that I was in college, and I lived just like these people. I lived near the Greek houses, I lived with roommates, and I was in a sorority. So I see myself in these victims, and that just makes it scary. So first and foremost, I want to extend my deepest condolences to the friends and families of these four victims, as well as the sisters of Alpha Phi sorority, Pi Beta Phi sorority, and the brothers of Sigma Chi fraternity. I know that this is hard and I can't imagine what you're going through. So before I get started on the case, there's some context things you should know. Maddie, Zaina, and Kaylee lived with two other roommates, and I'm not going to name them at all because I want to respect their privacy. They lived with two other roommates in a three-story house in It was technically off campus, but it was pretty much right there. The neighborhood that they lived in was near the Greek houses, and they called it Fratlantis, which I love. Maddie and Kaylee were also best friends, lifelong best friends. They met in sixth grade, and I saw a picture of them when they were that young. They had braces and side ponytails, and it was so cute. So they grew up together, they did everything together, and they went to college together. And the other thing you should know is that Zayna and Ethan are dating. Their boyfriend and girlfriend, I don't know how long they had been together, I want to say about a year and a half, but 
Sources say that they were a good couple. Saturday, November 12th, 2022 was just like any college Saturday. The University of Idaho Vandals had a home football game that day. And in fact, it was their last home game of the season. So people were pretty hyped about that. Sadly, the Vandals did lose. But as the saying goes, win or lose, you still booze. And yeah, I've been there. (laughs) That night, the roommates went out. They went their separate ways. Zayna and Ethan went to Ethan's fraternity Sigma Chi for a party. And meanwhile, Kaylee and Maddie went out to the Corner Club Bar, which seems like is the most popular bar in the area. And when they left, before they went home, they stopped at the local grub truck. I guess the thing to do was to get mac and cheese from this grub truck. So they did that. This grub truck had a live stream on Twitch of the people ordering the food at the truck. And Maddie and Kaylee can be seen on footage on this live stream. Also in the footage was a man in a hoodie that maybe was kind of with the girls, but was hanging back while they were order while they were ordering. This man was cleared from what was about to unfold. Maddie and Kaylee got a ride home from a private individual. We don't know who that individual is because there was no record of them getting an Uber or a Lyft or anything, but we know that they got a ride home from a private individual. All of the roommates are home by about 2 a.m., including Ethan, who's staying the night with Zena. Maddie and Kaylee, being best friends, also decided to just snuggle up together and stay the night in Maddie's room. Apparently, Kaylee, probably being a little bit drunk, called people several times that night, including her ex-boyfriend. And your mind is probably going, oh, the ex-boyfriend was involved. It was for sure him. That was my first thought too, but no, he was cleared by police. He had nothing to do with it. And by the way, I, it, I think we all know somebody who drunk calls, especially their exes. So I think that's pretty common. So before I continue... I need to explain the layout of the house. So this house had three levels. And from what I can understand, you walk in on the second floor and then there's a top floor and a bottom floor. The very top floor, Kaylee and Maddie lived in their separate room. And Kaylee had a dog named Murphy who at the time was in Kaylee's room while Kaylee and Maddie were in Maddie's room. On the second floor was Zayna and Ethan was with her too. And then one of the other unnamed unnamed roommates, excuse me, lived on the second floor as well. And then the other unnamed roommate lived on the bottom floor. There were two sliding glass doors that granted access to the house. One could be entered from the backyard and the other could only be accessed from the balcony on the very top floor. So it's around 4 a.m. Zayna ordered DoorDash and then not long after, one of the roommates woke up because they thought they heard Kaylee playing with her dog on the floor above her. And then a few minutes later, this same roommate heard who they thought was Kaylee saying something along the lines of, there's somebody here. It's possible that this could have been Zayna on her phone because there's record showing that she was on TikTok at 4.15 a.m. But then shortly after, this same roommate thought she heard crying coming from Zayna's room and she heard a male voice say something along the lines of, it's okay, I'm here to help you. And next, she for sure heard crying, so she went to look, and that is when she saw a man wearing a mask walk past her. She described this man as 5'10 or taller, with an athletic build but not really muscular, and bushy eyebrows. 
She had just come face to face with the man that would murder her roommates, and she lived to tell the tale. The next morning, one of the surviving roommates found the four of them unconscious, so they called two friends to help out. These friends come over, and they're still not waking up, so then a 911 call is placed at 11.58 a.m. that next morning. We still don't know who placed the call, but I'm sure it's for a good reason. The police arrived at the house to find Kaylee, Maddie, Zayna, and Ethan not unconscious, but stabbed to death. What's weird is there was no sign of sexual assault or any sign of forced entry. So, like you, I'm guessing, my first thought was, okay, so there's four roommates stabbed to death and two surviving roommates. It has to be the two roommates who did it, right? And if they didn't, then why wait until noon to call 911? And while that's an understandable thought process, they, the two surviving roommates, have been cleared by police and they had nothing to do with it. I've also heard that these surviving roommates have received some backlash and we're not going to do that here. This podcast is not the place to judge them. There was one piece of evidence left behind and it was a knife sheath or the cover that goes on top of a knife. This sheath had the U.S. Marine Corps insignia on it, and it was left right next to Maddie. So you might be thinking, well, what about DNA? And I thought the same thing, too. Here's the thing, though. Before this house was rented by these roommates, it was rented by people at college before them and people before them and so on. And it was commonly known as a party house, although... Friends of the roommates said that while, yes, there were people there often, it was friends of the roommates. Basically, nobody was there that shouldn't have been there or nobody was there that they didn't already know. So the problem is that, yes, there's DNA, but there's a lot of it. So it would be really hard to go off of anything except for the DNA that was found on the knife sheath. So news came out about four college students murdered at the University of Idaho, and it got national attention pretty much immediately. I mean, I even remember my mom texting me an article that morning about it. People are wondering if it wasn't the two surviving roommates and it wasn't the ex-boyfriend, then who was it and why? Time goes by and the public isn't really getting any information and seemingly the families aren't either. People begin to get frustrated with the police, and I understand why, but personally, I am a big believer in trusting the process when it comes to investigations, and it seems like the families were too. Frustrated, yes, but it seems like they never lost faith. Personally, I knew not to jump to conclusions because if they weren't releasing information, I knew there would be a good reason for it. Shortly after news came out about this case, a gas station owner about a mile from the crime scene took it upon themselves to look through their security footage to see if they could find anything. They turned footage into the police of a white Hyundai Elantra speeding away from the crime scene around 4.20 a.m. The police asked the public's help in finding this car, but it would be tough because it's a pretty common car. I mean, I think they had 22,000 of the same car to go through, so they definitely needed the public's help. 
about a month goes by and again police really aren't releasing any information people are starting to wonder if the case was going cold they were wondering if it was ever going to get solved but the police assured the public that it was not cold and that they were receiving tips daily and as usual with things like this rumors start happening and many internet sleuths had a lot to say especially creators on tiktok one creator in particular even went as far as to say that they had cracked the case and they accused a university professor of doing it that professor was quickly cleared by the police had nothing to do with it and sued the creator for defamation. I don't know the status of that lawsuit, but it's not important to the rest of the story. But it does go to show how big this case is. The residents of Moscow, Idaho are scared. They're wondering if this is ever going to be solved. They're wondering if they're even safe. And people said they even started locking their doors after this incident. But finally, after many weeks of silence, on December 30th, 2022, about six weeks after these brutal murders, the Moscow-Idaho Police Department holds a press conference. Chief of Police James Fry announced that the Moscow Police Department had finally made an arrest. Police arrested 28-year-old Brian Koberger. Brian Koberger, who was originally from Pennsylvania, was a PhD student at Washington State University, which was only about 10 miles from Moscow. He was also a TA. Can you imagine finding out that your TA had brutally murdered four people? I would really be creeped out by that. Police had started to look into Brian because on November 29th, 2022, police found the white Hyundai Elantra that they were looking for at WSU student housing in the parking lot. This car was registered to Brian. Remember how the roommate who saw the killer that night said he had bushy eyebrows? Well, sure enough, Brian Koberger did. So police began tracking Brian. They found via cell phone ping records that his cell phone, the night of the murders, was moving towards Moscow at about 2.30 a.m. Then the phone was either turned off or in airplane mode it was unable to be tracked for a while. And then at about 4.45 a.m., it was pinged again moving away from Moscow. The phone also pinged back near the house before the police arrived the next day. On December 13th, Brian, with his dad, drove back to Pennsylvania for Christmas break. On this drive, they were pulled over twice for tailgating, but were let go with warnings both times. Then, when they got back to Pennsylvania, surveillance teams began watching Brian closely. These surveillance teams began going through the trash that the family had discarded out on their curb. If you don't know this, when you discard your trash at the curb, it is legally not yours anymore, so the police can go through it without a warrant fun fact if you didn't know. So back at the crime lab, they're going through the DNA from the trash trying to find something and they compare it to DNA found on the knife sheath at the crime scene. And the DNA found in the trash was a match for the DNA found on the knife sheath. The DNA found was actually a match for the father of the killer, but on December 30th, 2022, Brian Koberger was arrested at his family's home in Pennsylvania. He was then swabbed in his cheek for DNA, and that put his DNA on the sheath of the knife. It was also said that Brian was arrested, quote, without incident, so he was calm and cooperative, it seems. So let's talk about that for a second. He murders four students, goes on to be a TA like nothing happened. He just 
continued on his life and then goes home to visit his family for Christmas break. That's insane. So he visited his parents for Christmas break, was then arrested and extradited back to Idaho where he faced four counts of first degree murder and felony burglary. When I had watched the Moscow police press conference on December 30th, I saw a photo of Brian Koberger and this is what I will personally say about him. My thoughts when I saw his picture was, he's scary in the way that Ted Bundy is scary. And what I mean by this is that he is a student, he's a PhD student, so potentially he's very intelligent. And while I wouldn't say he's attractive or charming like Ted Bundy was said to be, he's not bad looking. He looks like just a regular guy. And that's a scary thought to think about that any regular guy you could see could murder four people just like he did. Excuse me, just like he was alleged to do. So all of this information was released on an affidavit written by the police. If you don't know, an affidavit is basically just outlining all of the evidence they have and everything that they believe happened. As far as I can understand, the motive behind this heinous crime is still unknown, or it's at least unknown to the public. There's a gag order on this case, and I'm sure it's for a good reason. And eventually, if this case goes to trial, we may just find out the motive, but... For now, that is all we know about the Idaho murders. And again, I want to honor the lives of the victims and say rest in peace to them. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and our first episode on YouTube. I'm again thankful that you're here and thankful that you joined me today. See you next week. Be good and feel good. Bye.